Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hello, Bill speaking. Dr. Bill. Hey, buddy. I'm here with my good friend, Greg Hemmings. You'll hi, him. hi, Dr. Bill. Hey, buddy. How are you? <laughs> good. So, Fantastic. So, so, so how, how do you come up with the construct of good friends? Well, okay. I'll, I'll give it to you like this. We are right now sitting in a box. Probably no bigger uh-huh. than the no bigger than the the cab uh, back seat that you're sitting in right now, and okay. this particular box reaches about 38 degrees by the end of every single episode, and we're comfortable uh-huh. enough to have both of our shirts half undone uh, in a small box together. So that yeah, we're we're, we're close buddies. <laughs> oh. Well, that's a great Gillette commercial. Yes. <laughs> well, and, we, and you know what? We did a we met actually, Bill. And we did a coaching documentary way like eight years ago. I did, and I'll have to show it to you some point. It's it was and so Greg's a filmmaker, and we've been doing okay. a, and we've collaborated cool. on a whole bunch of stuff. He's done some really cool videos for for vision coaching over the years. Very creative guy, creative team. I actually had a chance to work with him and his team at length, so that was pretty cool to see the inside of this business. And he started about the same time, Hemming's House Pictures, the same time as Vision Coaching started. Um, oh, cool. Well, you, you know I'm at the TIFF today, right? Are you? At the what? Yeah. The International yeah, Film the Festival. Toronto, oh, you're at TIFF. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, right on. Have fun there. Well, Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's remarkable. You know, it's kind of like I love the scenery. Oh yeah. Well, listen. You've got the whole the whole world the whole world of beautiful people at Toronto right now. <laughs> so, so listen, D- Dave. I think that this this little prelude is actually good. I mean, like we're we're into this already. So we so- got we got it recorded, Bill. By the way, and I was and my thing with is uh, so you know, I, and we didn't tell that you right away, but we're, we we like we're in this this booth, but it got all this audio equipment and stuff. Everything's being recorded. Are you okay with? With us just going off the top like this? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Oh, perfect. So we're catching. See, this is and this is what's great. So, so, so a little bit of a, a introduction to to Doctor Bill. Yeah. Who, and and he will at, at any moment he will. What you'll love about him is he's become a, a very good friend, and he will at any moment throw me under the bus. So I'm, I am. If I sound nervous, it's because I'm just waiting for. Right? I can't wait to hear what what real good friend means between you yeah, and Bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I know. I've been open with you <laughs> already. Well, and no, he's he's kind. He's kind. He's. I'm being very kind to him right now too, because I, because he he will he may at any point call me a, a certain nickname that'll come up at some point, uh, amongst other things. But he. So here's the deal with uh, with Bill. He's um. He's a, I guess what we describe him, he's quite accomplished in post-secondary. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. So he's a guy that, um, that uh, you know, I phoned him on weekend and he said, uh, and he's a coach as well. And he's got a very fascinating background. And you just Google, Google Bill. Um, so for listeners, I Google him, Bill Howitt, H-O-W-A-T-T. You'll see a whole bunch of information on Bill. Um, and I'm and, and just giving an example of, of how his mind works. And, and is, is he was uh, working with uh, with one of our, our clients, and um, something came up around procrastination. And he and and uh, and so I'm talking to him, and I said, "So what are you doing today, Bill? It's a Sunday." 
And he said, well, I'm working on a procrastination scale and I'm looking, I'm trying to understand, you know, because I realize when I'm talking about it, what, what does exactly it mean? And, you know, I mean, and I'm thinking, and, you know, so what are you doing, Dave? And I don't want to tell him like, uh, you know, oh, I'm luck. looking at Sportsnet right now, but, oh, well, uh, what am I doing? So he's, uh, so what, what attracted, I mean, we've been collaborating on a number of things, um, but he has an expertise in adult learning okay. and, um, yeah, and, and, and developing curriculum. Um, he's got a deep coaching background, like right from the early days, yeah. um, worked on walls. I mean, Bill, you're very interested in mental health and we're catching you in Toronto, Bill, and I'm trying to do my best, uh, intro for you here. Um, but you're just coming out of the Globe and Mail, um, where you, uh, you have a column. And you do some really cool stuff there. And what, what can you tell, tell Greg and the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, what we're doing is we're doing a national study called Your Life at Work. And so far, we have a little bit over 6,000 people who have participated in the study. Cool. And what we're, what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to start a conversation between employees and employers uh, in regards to what the employer can do to help assist uh, employees to mitigate perceived stress facilitate engagement, and then improve the health because we're having a health epidemic in our world, in our country. And it's actually, it's a $42 trillion problem across the world, chronic disease. And so what happens right now in Canada, we have a $50 billion problem of loss of productivity due to mental health. We're looking at it going probably 6x to approximately $300 billion by 2040. If you look at progressive chronic disease, between 35 and 65 is the fastest progression. What the challenge is for many organizations is, is that they have this need, if it's a for, for a for-profit business, to have EBITDA or some margin. And if it's for a non-profit, an NGO or government funds or municipality or feds or whatever it may be, they're given a, given a mission to work with inside a certain amount of budget. What we've started to ascertain in our study is that, that there's a direct correlation between how people can cope with their uh, perceived workplace and their health outcomes and productivity and engagement. And what we're trying to do, without mattering on in this too long, is just trying to figure out what are the drivers that are upstream that could mitigate decrease of productivity because most employers that I talk to want the average employee to come to work and do 80% of their full potential every day to 85%. The challenge is approximately 27% of the population comes to work and puts forth anywhere between 30 and 70% of their best work. And with those, that population with the discretionary effort issues are also ones that have higher stress issues, lower coping skills, higher health issues, lower uh, engagement, less fulfillment for job fit. So what we're doing is we've done the study, and I just walked out. We're doing a cover study, cover study, sorry, cover story for the Global Mail at some time in late September or October. We were specking out the story today that we're going to report our findings. And for me, it's a pretty big deal that we're actually at that point now. We're going to get a national cover story. This is amazing. Like, what a cool documentary that would have made. You know, like <laughs> well, you're, you're, at, you're at TIFF today. Uh, that's 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 the type of thing that gets me excited, Bill. Is hearing studies like this um, mm-hmm. and following groups of people over an extended period of time and actually seeing change, measurable change happen. So next time you do a project like this, make sure you let me know. Okay? <laughs> yeah, no, I know we're, we're we are, and we have a couple of things. So that's what I'm doing, and as well as I'm 
and I wouldn't disclose names, and I'm meeting with a national partner today to look at a strategic partnership because what, what I'm really about and what David's I think, is about is we, we identify that a lot of drivers and organizations for their productivity is the manager-employee relationship. And somebody can arguably say that we don't do a really, really good job in preparing future leaders. And that's a whole debate, and it's a billion-dollar business that they train leaders. What, we're, what we do is, from an adult learning perspective, we've developed a, a Senate-approved leadership program for the University of New Brunswick that, that has 18 courses. Called It's a, called a Certification and Management Essentials. That's one thing to help develop frontline leaders and middle managers. The other thing that we've developed with David and I have developed is called V1 as a new proprietary coaching methodology for facilitating accountability on the coach, the coachee, so that we can report to organizations, not just the airy-fairy that someone's talking to a coach, but be able to show them some measurable impact. And, and people use this word ROI very loosely and what we want to do is isolate, take out all the noise and say what impact coaching really had and why, as well as mentoring we're looking. So the reason Dave and I are together so you can get some context on it is we, we know that the research I'm doing up front, we're identifying issues. We know that we can, what employers can do and want to provide employers with not, we don't believe we have a God in the box. We just want to provide them with some options that are well thought out that they can help their employees, as well as to help the employers know that they don't have all the burden, which I think is important. We're trying to get folks to realize that the employee has a role. And what we want to do is create a safe way that we can transfer knowledge and skills to employees and not assume that employees were taught or trained how to solve problems or cope or manage their lives. Exactly. Well, and you know what? You know what's been exciting for me as a coach is that you're entering in these conversations and, and you know, and, and as I see the industry mature and helping support developing leaders or entrepreneurs or whatever, um, how cool it would be to have, you know, stronger evidence-based um, uh, approaches and methodologies and, and be able to do applied research. I mean, so I get very excited by it. Um, now, now the, here's another interesting thing, Greg, you'll find interesting, is that, Greg, or uh, Bill, um, give... give uh, Give Greg a, a kind of a picture of, you know, how you grew up and some of the challenges you overcame to, to you know, become this accomplished guy that you are, um, despite your, your uh, you know, throwing me under the bus once in a while. But other than that, very accomplished guy. Tell, like, this is a really neat story around adversity here. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, one, of, one of my big things is around, uh, I've come through life probably not with a silver spoon, if you will. Uh, things were always a little bit difficult for me. I couldn't really read or write until I was proficient, until about 19 years old. I probably read at a grade six to eight level. I failed grade two. I had a difficult time. And what I learned through that process is that to evolve yourself to your full potential, failing is a part of the deal. Mm. And I had had a mentor, which is my mother, which was a fantastic mentor. And then through it, I had Mrs. Stewart in grade five who asked me what I wanted to do, and being a smart aleck, I said, write a book. So we wrote a book to our trips to Warren Grove that opened my eyes to writing, and today I've written over 60-plus books that I'm continuing to write because I want to someday eventually learn how to read and, and write. And then, and then 
then I had a grade 10 teacher, Frank Gillen, who, you know, knew I was struggling a bit. and I became fascinated with the law. I did really well with the law courses. So I ended up moving into the justice system while I was graduate school, did a lot of forensic work, worked as a counselor as young people and started to realize that struggle and went through the the academic world, but it wasn't until I got to Acadia University when I was playing university football that they took me on as a project and someone started to really show me the power of mentoring. And I'm very fortunate to have those four or five mentors in my life that did, did not need to. They actually just raised their hand and said, you're, you, you're a smart guy. And, and they basically helped me build my resiliency and my internal drive. And I think what Dave and I do with people over and over is we want people to realize that the, it, it's, uh, it's, there is no nirvana, there is no perfection, life is not, there's no end destination, there's a bunch of left turns and you have to remember to make the right turn and failing is going to be a part of your forward progress. So uh, I would say, David, you're correct. I, I, I did go through quite a bit, but I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm adopted, I understood. From a kid, from a very small age, you just learn about adversity. And wow. Part of it is if you're lucky enough to have people believe in you, that's a trick. I couldn't have done it without a lot of support. It's amazing. the, uh, <clears throat> And that's not a theme that comes up uh, often. Yeah, even, even in our podcast, sometimes Dave and I ask uh, people what some of their, their their biggest learning moments were, and they all came from, from you know, failures. And uh, as entrepreneurs, it's, it's the part that keeps us excited in a way. It, I think those, those people who embrace failure um, are the ones who are experimental and who are adventurous and are the ones that can see opportunities. And once you get good at failing, um, the world's your oyster. And you you were in a position where um, you could have been marginalized if, if you didn't have people believing in you. And what a great lesson that is, uh, even for, for our, our own employees and staff and team members and, and contractors where, uh, where there might not be a fit because someone's struggling in this area or they keep failing left, right, and center. But embracing that through mentorship, who knows what type of gold you could get out of that. And I'm sure from your study, you've been, you know, talking to a lot of employers about that very thing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what the thing we're learning is, is that the big finding from my study very simply is this coping skills is a lead indicator. Engagement and health are lagged indicators. What we care about from hard dollars is absenteeism, presenteeism, disability management, uh, those are the hard dollars employers will track, not only the results and the profitability, but in regards to, you know, turnover costs, these are, they can measure these. And then hard dollars, so they can measure benefits costs and, and the time associated with, you know, paying bigger benefits programs or dealing with more employees that are with absentee as management or disability management. So, those kinds of variables they're measuring. What they're starting to become aware of is that trying to curve a shift that's already going the wrong way takes a lot more effort than perhaps getting upstream a bit and helping that you do the right, get the right employees in the right position. Take your time instead of, you know, if you think about the procurement process, if you were trying to buy a microwave, how many hours and debate would go into buying a microwave? where someone can go for a job interview and within 12 seconds someone makes a decision. Mm-hmm. But on a $50,000 job, that's reoccurring over and over, right? 
Yeah, and what a great lesson too. You know, some of many of oh, yeah, what were you saying? Well, no, I was just going to say. I mean, it is, and 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 so so Bill, um, you know, Greg's got this this um, what is nine year old, you know, uh, coming up to his first decade. Uh, this very creative, very cool uh, film company, and he's very inclusive. Um, what? How does he? How do you help him get upstream and continue to scale and grow this thing? Like, what would advice would you give? To, to Gray, or you know, and I'll take the same advice from from the vision coaching standpoint. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things: is not knowing what your business is and not hallucinating. It basically starts with five levels that I look at. One, the first line of question we'll talk if you draw a line is your top line, and you have you have a client, you have some expectation, you have some target, you have some business objective, you have some type of margin that you want to have as a for profit business. Once you understand what they are, they have an appreciation of what your market share is, what your wallet share is, how you're disposing yourself in the marketplace, and how you're being consumed. Now you understand the business. Now the second level where people like me look at your organization is from an organizational development perspective. I look at it, okay, you have a client and you have some defined result that I just said. Then you have strategy, and then you have people and processes, you have culture, you have management. One of the mistakes I often look at organizations that the difference between a good company and a great company is they accept mediocrity and call it good. And and so in other words, they're making money and they think they're being being successful where they could be leaving three points on the table because they're not paying attention that managers are not focusing on the culture, not focusing on policies, not focusing on people. So one of the things I do, even though companies has the illusion they're being successful. As a coach, I challenge them what success means and then ask them what their plan, do, check, act is in regards to their continuous improvement and what their vision is because somewhere along the line, it's like quality is always a moving target. So as David suggested, what I would do, my advice is once I understand how the organization is moving across those five levels, is your, are you maximizing your strategy? I don't know. Are you maximizing your people readiness and your, your communications and your strategy? Perhaps, perhaps you're not. Is your, is your culture as dynamic and engaging as it could be? Sometimes we look in the mirror and we start believing our own thinking. So as a leader, cognitive dissonance is, uh, dissonance, sorry, is a big problem is we actually say good is good enough and Maybe it is, but maybe there could be someone who doesn't talk or say much to an employee that they're accepting the status quo and nodding things are fine. So there might be an opportunity for improvement. In other words, sometimes leaders need to be able to deal with enough ambivalence and humility to say things aren't perfect. When a leader starts telling me that things are perfect, then I think their own psychosis could be their own diminish because every business is doomed to fail based on the law of G. So they're all failing. The question is, is how long will it take? And so they want to mitigate that to stay. And if you look at companies as they look at mergers and look go back to Ben Franklin, original companies, just look at the history. And then the next thing we would do to answer your question, though, so you're following me, is, is that it's really important to look at the employee's life cycle now. Now we look at from the operations what they're trying to achieve. We know what the business outputs are. We look at the employee life cycle. And then people like me sit back and say, okay, 
now that I understand the DNA of your organization, I understand the OD of your organization, I understand the employee's life cycle. Oh, let me ask you one more thing. I understand the employee's health. Then I can give you a really objective view. I find that we give too much advice to businesses to make improvements, making the assumption that one statement, there's a magic wand, there isn't any. And no one has all the answers. So what, we, what I'm learning is it's kind of like this. If I said to you a bat and a ball is ten, and the bat costs exactly $1 more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? I know that this is a trick question. <laughs> you know, I've I've heard similar ones, uh, and you know, I, my brain's not even going to be able to do the math, but something like eighty cents. Am I right? Well, well buck- no, <laughs> no, no, not even. Not, I don't even. Not, not, not even the feels of being close. Um, <laughs> bat and a ball is a dollar ten. Oh, buck- okay, there you go. A ball, dollar ten, and the ball. Right? How much is a ball? The bat is exactly a dollar more than the ball. Oh, right, right, right. Was it five cents? And, I can't remember what the trick was. Well, it, well, the answer is, actually, it is five cents. Oh, that's right. That's and right. It, because many people, because of fast thinking, make the assumption it's ten cents. My whole point is, that's what you just answered, that that's what we need leaders to do. Slow down. Stop using fast thinking. Yeah. Use slow thinking and do the analysis do the work see, and don't hallucinate. And, and that's, and see, Bill, this is why I hang out with people like you and Greg because you guys are smart, right? But, but here's the thing. I, I'm not smart in that. I just, I was tricked by it before. Yeah, uh, you remember. Well, I mean, yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's where my, my, my smartness comes in is I don't want to be uh, stripped twice. But uh. Well, so, 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 so Bill, yeah, there is. And there's brilliance in that, right? You know, but it's true. It's, it's so true, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we, there's this rapid thinking going on, right? And no one's yeah. slowing down, and and so um, so what I've enjoyed about collaborating with Bill is, is 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 this ability to slow things down and say let's get the let's understand this. let's get the data before you move forward as a company, right? And that could be little comp- smaller companies like ourselves, up and, and particularly large companies. So he's got um, so if someone wanted to look at you, for example, as an employee, because it's really important, or as an employer, you've got a great survey, quality work life survey. How do they? How do people find that? Well, they would reach out to our company to start, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're right now building the tool to be a corporate tool that provides employees with a real report in real time. But as you know, and which I'll let the listeners know, is we're taking that, we're creating a construct called Evolve based off a new theory that I've written called behavioral engineering. And what we're looking at is creating what is what will increase the propensity for human beings to have more health in their life because these fitness fads and diet fads are what's happening is they're creating more eating disorders and creating a lot of failure identity. And there's a lot of people walking around with shame because they try these strategies and they continue to fail. And people are equating health to body weight. And what we're saying is, no, we want to look at it from a holistic perspective. So what we're doing is a QWL will be an engine that will drive organizational design inputs provide organizations with thinking. It provides an engagement study. It provides an HRA analysis. It provides the productivity analysis. It provides the employer with strategy and what they can do to improve productivity, health, engagement, which are, which are seminal drivers for profitability. From an employee perspective, we believe employees need to be responsible for their own health, and but we can't assume that they know how to do that. 
So with the Evolve strategy, what we'd want to do is create a program using game theory logic that, that we understand that people will spend a long time in virtual rooms. Uh, and because they don't have to worry about uh, self-esteem or being rejected or plus the stimuli of the individual time, and plus they're able to solve and have their own creativity. So you'll see some of the most, the, some of the coolest games the kids are playing online, online, they're solving problems. What we want to do is use that same engineering to create a virtual strategy that doesn't have people that can help employees evolve around fitness, food, hydration, around their sleep, relationships, money, fun and passion, mental health, habits, and coping skills. And we're thinking that because life is not perfect, but you can't be green unless you're very fortunate and very disciplined on all of those. And what will happen is that sometimes family, a crisis could happen that I become focused on family, and I may give up my diet, for example. We just want to have a prodder that keeps people focused on maintaining their minimal standard of health without them being overwhelmed by this. They have to be on the front page of a magazine and be perfect. Mm-hmm. We don't believe in that. So we're, we think health is circular, and there's a failure as a part of it, and that we want to keep people on at a minimal level. We're not, we're not trying to do that. So from the, from the employee's perspective, David, that's what the QWL is evolving in now is a corporate wellness solution for employees, as well as providing organizations with an opportunity where they can help uh, facilitate the opportunity to maximize their opportunity with a group of human beings to achieve a designed or desirable output without hallucinating that they are where they are to their full potential or not. We, we just like to only applied research and, and give them the facts. Yeah, this is uh, this is incredible, and it's a uh, it's really neat as well that this uh, these studies and these uh, projects that you're building really came out of uh, your own experience. And uh, I, I guess my one of my you know closer questions I've got for you, Bill, is uh, why do you do this? Like, what, like there's, there's some really cool stuff that you're that you're serving out to the to the world in in uh, in this data and uh, in the coaching and and whatnot. But what's what's your main motivator in in this? And uh, I suspect it ties back to your early experiences. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's it's the I, I find there's there's a very small percentage of the population are happy. The majority of the population say they're okay. And, and unfortunately, a large percent of the population are frustrated. Uh, somehow, I've been blessed with this ability to get up every day being happy and excited about who I am and what I do, even though I'm a screw-up like everyone else. I just believe that I'll figure it out. And so what I, what I really do this for excites me is that I know if I can do this kind of stuff, I know there's people that are a lot smarter than I am and a lot more gifted than I am that aren't maximizing their potential and are not giving back as much as they can. So if you get a chance, I'm trying to create a place where I'm helping people to go home from work in the exact same shape or better than, than they were. I'm not trying to curve the, what's happening in our country. I'm trying to help flatline it or keep things flat. And then here's an existential reason I do it. I read a book called Force Versus Power. A very influential book talked about the world and saying that if the world is starts from zero to a thousand, 
and we need an algorithm of 200 or the world will self-employ with negativity. And the world right now is at 222. So we need a, we have so much negativity and we focus so much on failure and so much is wrong with other people. We don't celebrate ourselves or other people enough. And if we don't learn how to enjoy the moments and start being grateful for what we have, we're going to miss the moments and then we'll just hope the next carbon forms can figure it out. Wow. Hey, here's an interesting question, Bill. Do you have a vision statement yourself? Yeah, I do. Can we hear it? Live life and learn. Love it. That's great. That's really good. It's because uh, it, yeah. it's uh, you know obviously Dave's in the business of helping people create vision, and uh, uh, it really feels that the work that you're doing on this planet is to make this place a better place. And it's such a cliche when you when you hear people say that I want to make the world a better place, but it's so real. You know, and I'm we, not. No, yeah. and I'm not normally this nice to David too. So let's not. <laughs> well, make no, sure. you know, in closing, <laughs> in closing, what we could do is you could talk about how your life's been so enriched by hanging out with me, Bill. <laughs> do it. Yeah, no, yeah Dave, Dave, David works. David works at a speed, as you probably noticed. That's incredibly fast. Like <laughs> it's, it reminds me of a snail. <laughs> going uphill <laughs> in the cold in the winter yes in the cold so that's 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 why I call him the plotter because but he gets but he gets there I love but it. But he gets there. I love you. You, you, you guys are. I, I could tell that uh, whatever projects you work on together, I'm sure they're filled with a lot of uh, comedy and humor. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> you gotta have it though. You gotta have it though. No, no. So I've been. Yeah, yeah. So, so in fact, we're we're, uh, we're we're we've been doing some work together. We had to, we had to, you know, create a, a legal agreement with you know because some joint IP and this and that. Oh, and, for God's sake! Yeah, we won't go there. We won't talk about because this is the bane of Bill's existence. He just and I mean for me too, right? But at one point, I sent a version over to the lawyers. Well, and, no. And there was yeah, a, go ahead. There was a reference in the the version I sent to the lawyer some of the stuff about about um, the plotter and then the lawyer meaning me it was a jo- it was a reference <laughs> to me and the lawyer's asking you know who's this who's the plot what's the plotter what kind of product this is the plotter so no 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 that's that's a reference to me um, well Bill thanks you know but, yeah. but, uh, but I got to finish the story oh, on that okay. because I think he needs to hear yeah, this I do he needs to hear this piece you see so if you were starting to build a piece of software and you were trying to get a lawyer agreement done, which would probably should get done first? Which one to be first? Yeah. Yeah. We've been working on this legal contract. I'm going to have the software done before we have the contract oh, done. Oh, I see what you're saying. This, has been, this is seven and a half weeks. I don't know if they're how this this is... Uh, this is like slower than time. No, no, who's being slow? The, the legal department or Dave? <laughs> Uh, well, let's, I, I let's, turn my stuff around pretty quick, so I don't does. know who to blame. Let's blame it on the lawyers. <laughs> I'm gonna, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, so Bill, thanks guys. For, so, for people that want to learn more about, um, you know, I think, I think there's a couple good places to see more about you. But if you're gonna send someone to a URL, like a, direct them to a URL, I mean, it would be uh, what, what, like a, howardhr.com? Is that? Yeah, I would encourage them. I'd like I would to uh, how would HR if they wanted to find out some of the stuff we're doing. I'd really encourage them to go to your life at work through the Globe and Mail. Just put it in Google your work and get a benchmark where you're at. Very cool. 
Um, your life at work. Okay, very cool. So see, your, what, see, see what you're doing is making a difference in your life. Yeah, awesome. And that's and that's and now you can be part of this study, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I know we know you're off to the Toronto International. The Film. red carpet. Yeah, the red carpet. I hope you look smashing. Me and Robert there. Downey Jr. I can't wait. Excellent, excellent. Have a fabulous time, buddy. Um, and thanks so much for taking the time to get on our podcast. And we'll uh, we'll have this out shortly. Thanks, Loveville. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for the time. Okay, bye bye. Talk soon. I really like the uh, his uh, the, the the business that he he's in, or like the the. Uh, would you call it a business? But like his career path, everything he does is trying to make that score in the in the planet a little bit more favorable to the positive. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's talking about a measurable score uh, that we're actually past uh, the critical point of negativity in the planet. Mm-hmm. And he's doing studies and writing the Globe and Mail and, you know, working with clients to help uh, reverse that. And probably because the workplace is where most of us spend most of our waking hours that is makes sense to be the place where he spends most most of his focus and uh that's very entrepreneurial in itself oh, you know? yeah. oh yeah no no he you know he's doing fabulous things and uh and i think that the the and i don't know if that came across so much in this interview or not um but the thing about bill that's really cool is he he really you know the guy really does care you know and he's oh, trying and, and he, he wants he and he you know not at all unlike you and like others um, and it actually seems like a common theme, you know, people that they just, they want to do good, good work out there. Yeah. They want to see, uh, the world be a better place and they're bringing their particular strengths and skills to it. And he has some particular skills around building models and scales and, and studies. And he has a fascinated by that. Um, so it's, it's just neat to see that, that, you know, a paper, a national paper like the Globe and Mail in Canada, um, is getting, you know, is, is, is pulling him in and saying, please help us. And then, you know, so for me to be able to collaborate with him and help bring, you know, that kind of analytical uh, uh, approach to what's generally seen as a, a soft kind of, uh, there people have trouble understanding what coaching is. I mean, it's really exciting. So, yeah. so um, but uh, I hope that, that, you know, the people get to, I hope he gets, you know, like that people go on and, and this particular Do assessment step, he's yeah. talking about, it's really powerful for the individual doing it. I can't it, wait to do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, your 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 life at work. Yourlifeatwork.com. I this, think is what it. Yeah, yeah, and it'll go into the globe stuff, and you can go right in and do this assessment and be part of. I mean, he said, like you said, six thousand cool? plus. Wouldn't yeah. that make a good a great documentary though? Oh, buddy! <laughs> oh no, it's fascinating. Yeah. And 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 you know the other thing is interesting is is his life trajectory, right? Yeah. You know, overcoming some of these oh, things like gosh, dyslexia and all these things. And so he's coming right from the source of understanding. Yeah. Which you know a lot of researchers can make assumptions of, of what it's like, but they can't. They can have empathy, I suppose, but not you know coming from it. It must make him a super strong and passionate researcher uh, and writer. It's mm-hmm. amazing how many mm-hmm. books he's done. Oh, my God. I, I love how he said, uh, I want to continue writing so someday I can learn to read. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I great, and it. great sense of humor. Yeah, great for sense sure. Humor. So, um, well, so now this has been quite a quite a role we've been on, my friend. Yeah, it really has. I and mean, we've, we've been, and people may have heard this, I'm not sure, no. but we have been uh, quietly opening the door to the, this booth <laughs> to, bring to get the temperature a little down. fresh air. And the reason for that, for anyone that's still listening, 
is that I almost saw Greg Hemmings faint in front of me in a previous interview. He started well, he started <laughs> sitting true. and he started like, I got sagging and it was like it was like you know you see a a, a flower that hasn't had enough yeah, uh, that was water. Me. It was just like wilting right in front of me and I was what's going on? We got out there. He said I almost got sick. Well, Dave, do we do you have like one of those analog thermometers? Like I'd love to put a thermometer. There must be in here. one on our phone. We could probably get Download an app or something. I wonder. I yeah, know. because like it really is. It's a great clock, and, and it's as we said and from the beginning. Gets to a point, yeah. Right when it gets but to I thirty-eight think, degrees, I think I think yours is a couple degrees below mine because I'm feeling still. Well, you probably do hot yoga. You're no, you're, you're, you're all Mr. Fit, right? You know, so. Okay. Well, speaking of that, Jay McLean should be one of our next. You know, Jay definitely. He's, he's all about hot yoga. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay McLean, I know you're listening, buddy. You're coming on to the boiling point, and you know what? We could actually bring him into the session, like like bring him into the booth, make it really hot, and he could give us a hot yoga session in the middle of the interview. Jeez. Okay. What do you think? We could do it. <laughs> it would, but he would be the only one standing at the end. Oh, that's, that is true. Or, yeah. or doing a handstand. Um, that, all right. Th- thanks, Dave. This has been awesome. And uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, for all of our faithful listeners, thanks uh, again so much for subscribing and uh, sharing and spreading the word. We know you're doing it. And uh, hey, if, you, if anybody has any ideas of other amazing entrepreneurs, movement makers, or disruptors that should be on our show, send us a note. And uh, you can find us at uh, on Twitter at... Uh, uh, Bowling Point Pod and check out our Facebook at the Bowling Point Podcast and our website bowlingpointpodcast.com and Dave we'll see you next week man see you yeah and with possibly with Jay McLean of the Yoga House Yoga House yeah. Yeah. thanks for checking out this episode of Bowling Point remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod to see more from Dave Vale check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale and to catch up with Greg visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter thanks for listening and remember keep that pot boiling Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.